Good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for leading us in worship. And uh, hey, I want to also uh, thank you all for for coming to to worship with us here at City Lights. What I know is this, is that there are a lot of places that you could have been this morning. And I uh, want to thank you for choosing to be here. I know there are a lot of other churches that you could have went to. Um, and so I just want to say thank you. And it's also good to see that um, God brought some more people this morning. I'm not going to lie, I was looking a little nervous when we started at 1030 and there was two and a half people in here. However, however, the Spirit of God is everywhere at all times. And what I believe is this, is that in God's faithfulness, now listen, we have had a lot less people than this, and we have had a lot more. And so we have church no matter what, amen? We will have church no matter what. But it does this preacher's heart good to see a few of y'all coming in, even if you did straggle. So I appreciate you for, uh, for being here with us today. Again, my name is Peyton. If you, if you come in late and uh, I've not met you, I'm the lead pastor here at City Lights Church. And we just love what God is doing. We've been in this series called Black Box, and we are in the, actually the last part of it today. And uh, I really believe that God is going to give us a word, has given us a word that will... I'll tell you what my prayer is this morning before I start speaking, that someone in here would make a commitment for him that you've not made before and you'll leave here eternally changed. For those of you who would say you are committed Christ followers, what I pray is that God wrecks your heart, that you hear the gospel exposed, and that you understand that Christ is for you, that he's not against you. And we're just going to proclaim that this morning. We've been in this series called Black Box, and basically what we've been talking about is it's wisdom. It's wisdom, and that is this. When you think of a black box, if you've been here, you've heard this illustration a thousand times, but you think of like in a plane crash, they go for the black box to see what decisions were made in that moment of catastrophe. And so for us as Christ followers, things are not necessarily about absolute wrong or right, but it's about filtering the world through a lens of biblical Scriptures also with the lens of wisdom. How do we apply what we know and live it out in life? And so uh, we've just been talking about how do we, putting these little nuggets of wisdom into our black box. And this morning we're talking about shut it down. This is the last part of the series. If you've missed any message, you want to go back and hear one, you can always visit us on the web at citylightsac.org. We have a podcast there, or if you're an iTunes kind of person, you can just search for us on iTunes. As we talk about shut it down this morning, specifically what we're talking about is, is distraction. Now, um, it's easy for me to get distracted. Like I just got distracted a minute ago when I was fixing to say what I just said. I get distracted real easy. So what I want you to do this morning is um, hang with me. Like whatever would cause you to become as unfocused a word, if it's not, it should be, or less focused, let's shut it down. Whatever the distraction is, whatever, whatever responsibilities you have this week, whatever financial obligations you have that you can't meet, whatever relationship is strained and not going how you want, let's shut it down this morning. Let's focus on the Word of God because Jesus said, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. We're talking about shutting it down, shutting distraction down. Now, I want to use this as a conversation starter. This isn't necessary to talk about pastors or myself the whole time, but there's a couple thoughts out there when it comes to ministry and and pastors as far as how accessible should we be. And there's kind of two sides of the coin. And one of the coins is this. A lot of people will say that a pastor should have an open door policy. And what that means is this, that 
anytime, any place, anywhere, any situation, no matter what, you should be able to call your pastor, stop by his house, go in his office, interrupt his study, interrupt family time, whatever. I'm not being insensitive. I'm just telling you what some people think. That, you know, my pastor should be there. Uh, he's, his door is always open. It don't matter what's going on. You can just go in there and talk to him. Or you can be with him. You can call him any, you know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. You can, you know, do random stop by his house. But if you do that for me... And my curtains are closed, my door's shut. I may not answer it. I just want you to know that. Then there's, on the flip side of that, there's this other philosophy that says, okay, pastors should really limit the access that people have to them because they've got to study, study because they have the, their family, because they have a, a great responsibility for the church, because they have all these uh, obligations and other things going. And I kind of fall somewhere right in the middle of that. And so let me explain to you what my philosophy is. And, and I don't want to act like I've got many, many years of experience in the ministry, but I do have several years and learned enough to where I have adopted my own philosophy on this. And that is I kind of fall somewhere in the middle. And what that means is this, is if I can take your phone call, if I can reply back to your text in a couple of minutes, even at the expense of my grammar, I'm going to text you right back. I'm going to respond back to your Facebook message if you email me, I'm going to do my best to get it back to you in a timely manner because I feel like my philosophy is I want to make myself available to you. Not that there's anything significant about me as a person. I need Jesus just as much as you do, but I am the leader of this church, and I know that a lot of you would consider me a spiritual mentor, even those of you who are older than me. And so I want to make myself available to you as your pastor. I want to be someone that you can reach out and touch. I mean, that's how Jesus was, right? He didn't go off and hide and lock himself in an office. No, he made himself available to the least of these. And so like a, a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, this guy came in, and I was just standing out there, you know, greeting people, hanging out. And he said, hey, man, I thought you would be like off doing something. And I think what he meant was like hiding from people, I guess, is what he thought. And I was like, no, man. Because like when I come in on Sunday, I'm ready to be with the people. I've studied my message. And listen, this is, pastors don't need to be locked up in their office on Sunday mornings most of the time. Like if, you're, if your message isn't ready, then you need to let go of something else Monday through Friday. You need to be ready. So that, that's why I'm out there every single week. I'm ready to see people, ready to greet people. On the other side of that, a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, we did a service one Sunday morning where I just felt like God was calling me to lead, to, uh, to, to pray as the leader of this church for the service that morning. And so what I did was I limited access that people had to me. I just went down the hallway, and one of our, Troy Martin from our sound team, he actually found me and was like, hey, man, people are kind of wanting to know where you're at. And I just said, hey, this is what I'm doing this morning. I'm praying for the people that are coming. I'm about the Father's business. And so I just limited access that morning for a legitimate reason. And that's what I mean. I fall in the middle. Like, I'm going to make myself available, but I'm also going to limit depending upon what the Father wants me to do. And I don't say that just to talk about pastors. I use it to open up a conversation for you. Like, how, how often, how accessible do you let people come to you, basically distract you from what's going on? You know, do you always, do you feel like you have to text somebody right back every time they text you? Do you feel like you have to, you know, be at that person's house just because they invited you? And what I know is this, what I know is this is that if you allow access to everyone all the time, you will eventually have nothing to give anyone. Amen? You've got to learn to say no, but you've also got to learn to stay balanced in that. And so we're talking this morning about distractions, and I just want to use that as a starter to basically say this. We live very crowded lives, very crowded. We have crowded schedules, crowded calendars, crowded lives, crowded homes, 
How do we shut down the door of distraction this morning to where we can really focus on Jesus? And let me tell you something. I wasn't always, I'm not always being a pastor. So I know what it's like to sit on that side and hear like the word of God being preached, but thinking about where you're going out to eat, thinking about what happened yesterday. And it's crazy. I know like the spirit can be on you. Then all of a sudden you're just like a little bird start floating away and you, and you come back. So I know what that's like. All right. But let's, whatever's going to distract you from the preacher this morning, let's shut it down. If you have a Bible on your phone or you brought one with you, open up to Mark chapter five. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. As you're exiting today, you can stop at the next steps table there. That's where you'll find our decals for the cars. You'll find some information to help you share your faith. And we'd love to give you a free Bible as well. If you have it on your phone, you can turn it on. Or if you didn't bring one, then we'll have it up on the screen. It's really easy for you to follow along. But we're talking about distraction this morning. How do we shut it down? How do we shut distraction down? And I think God's prepared a good word. So I really want you to hang with me because we're going to dive and we're covering a lot this morning. I want you to hang with me as we, as we kind of just tackle this question. How do we shut down the door of distraction? How do we focus? We're in Mark chapter 5. Jesus has just healed some people and it says that Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Verse 24. I love this. Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. And so what you see here is Jesus, has, he's just got done healing some people. He crosses the lake for rest. His first distraction is this huge crowd gathers around him. And then while he's teaching, the second distraction, this man named Jairus comes up to him. And so one of the ways that I think we can focus on shutting down the door distraction is to discern the demands to discern the demands. Now, can I be honest with you? Can I give you like, I don't know, like five minutes into the thought of a pastor's life, this pastor specifically. This is a couple weeks ago. I'm working on writing my message, and which is important, right? Because you're coming on Sunday morning, you're expecting to hear a word of God. Then I get a Facebook message. Now, maybe I shouldn't have had my phone around me. But I get a Facebook message from a guy and his fiance. They're staying in a hotel, and I can read it. It says, hey, if we don't have money to pay for room tonight, we'll be kicked out and be homeless. So here I'm studying on this message, and I see that I get distracted by, okay, now I'm thinking about this guy. Like He's not going to have any place to go. He's not going to have anywhere to stay. He's not going to have any food. Then just a few minutes later, I get another Facebook message from a couple who feel like God's called them to go to Haiti to dig wells so they could, the country can have fresh water, and would our church be interested in partnering with him? So I'm like, okay, I've got my message. That's really important because you guys are coming to hear me. Then I've got this guy who's basically going to be homeless. Would you say that's important to deal with? And then I've got this other, couple, this other couple who feel called by God to travel to a third world country to give them fresh water. Would you say that's important? Well, then just a couple minutes later, I get up, I work from home, church planner, and my little girl starts basically begging me to play with her. She doesn't really understand that just because daddy's home doesn't mean he's not working. And she's wanting me to play with her dolls. Would you agree that's very important as well? And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what is the distraction here? Is it writing the message? Is it answering the homeless people? Is it digging the wells or is it my daughter? What is actually the distraction here? Are you with me? 
Now, I mean, could you imagine Priscilla gets done playing the music and then Quentin brought the table out right here and then like somebody comes up here and says, Pastor Peyton would have loved to have been with you this morning, but he's actually home playing Barbie dolls with his little girl. <laughs> well, you've died, wouldn't you, right? So what is the distraction? How do you discern the demand of the distractions on our life? What, I mean, honestly, I struggle figuring out what is the distraction, Jesus crosses the lake, gets distracted by this crowd, yet this man comes up, and you need to understand who this man was, Jairus. Basically, he would have been the the president, the CEO, the head honcho of the synagogue. He'd been a very important man. Now, let's just think logically here, and and if you can, even kind of just not from a biblical perspective, but don't tell anybody your pastor asked you to do that. In our society, you think of this big group of people First, this one religious businessman. Who would be more important? All the people. Right? All the, I mean, all the people. But Jesus discerned that this one desperate father who had the guts to leave the synagogue because his daughter was dying came and fell, which is a picture of salvation, before the Savior. And Jesus understood in that moment that discerning the demand of this father was greater than the crowd. Aren't you glad that Jesus will leave the 99 to find the one? See, what I love about Jairus also, it's a picture of he's become distracted with his daughter. It's a good distraction. He's got a lot of responsibilities at the church. But that day Jairus said, you know what? Somebody else can work that shift for me. Maybe, maybe it's like this. Maybe it's not your daughter, but maybe it's a relationship. And you would say it like this. Somebody else can work the overtime this week. Somebody else can make the money this weekend, but I'm going to be here. What's interesting is that Jairus had a very, very important job. His daughter is dying. Would you say that leading a church is important? It is, okay? Would you say that a dying daughter is more important? Absolutely. Sometimes you have to forsake what is important to give attention to the demand of now. I shared this in our volunteer service. A lot of times I will talk with some of our volunteers and be like, hey, I've got this great idea. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. And then something else comes up and it's like, I have to forsake that. It's not that I don't want to do it or forget about it, but I just have to tackle whatever fire is closest to me. So we've got to learn how to discern these demands of distractions. And oftentimes it's hard for us to do that. And a lot of times what we see drivers, he's, he's come up to Jesus in the crowd. Now, if you've ever had this thought or you've ever done it, um, you're not alone. I've done it and hope to do it in a couple of weeks. But a lot of people, we hear them say things like, oh, if I could just take a week off of work, if I could just, you know, get away from my kids and go to the mountains for three days, I could connect with God so much more. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to make fun of you because I've done it. In fact, in a couple weeks, I hope hope to do it. But what we see here is that it's easy to connect with the Savior in confinement, but Jesus wants to connect with you in the crowded places of your lives. It's the Monday through Friday, right? It's not just on the Sunday at 1030. It's the crowded places of your life when you've got responsibilities, mortgage payment, kids to get to school, work, family, drama, Christ wants to connect with you in the crowded places of your lives. 
What I love about Jairus is he understood that the demand of his daughter was important enough to where he could forsake other things and come to Jesus in the crowd. And what he did was he fell at the feet of Jesus. Apparently that caught Jesus' attention. Maybe for some of you, that's exactly where you need to be this morning, is at the feet of Jesus. Demanding. Father, will you acknowledge me? We live in a world where we're able to see, receive so much information that it comes at the cost of basically our effectiveness. We're so distracted. And here in the story, just in these first couple of verses, Jesus is basically, it's really what it is, he's distracted twice. He comes over by himself and the disciples. This huge crowd comes. So he has to discern the demand of, okay, it's more important that I teach them than rest right now. Then this father comes who's desperate for his daughter who's dying, and Jesus has to discern in that moment, okay, this is what's most important. We live crowded lives, and we have to discern the demand of, okay, what is most important right now? Now, something interesting happens. We're fixing to see another distraction for Jesus. This is all one story here. Now, some of you may be, like, distracted trying to hang with with me, but I think that we'll be able to go through this. So Jesus, he's come ashore. The crowds come. The fathers come. He begs Jesus, and it says that Jesus went with him because he will leave the 99. And then look, look what happens as they're on the way to the daughter. We pick back up in the story. This is verse 25. It says, a woman in the crowd. It's weird. Like from the, the scripture writing, there's like they're really focused on Jairus, and then the author just takes a quick turn. It says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Now, though this woman is facing a medical condition, and and we're all mature adults in here, we understand what's going on. This story reminds me of our culture's spiritual condition. We're trying everything we know to do to fill a leak in us that we often don't acknowledge the Savior. And so another way that we can focus on shutting down the door of distraction is to locate the leaks in our life. To locate the leaks in our life. Now this woman clearly had a medical condition, but for us it's more of a spiritual condition. See, she had went to the doctors for everything she knew. She spent all her money there. Often what we do is this. The one thing that we need, which is a Savior, we try to find in a relationship that's not good for us. We try to find by working 60 hours a week so we can find identity and having money in the bank. Let me ask you something this morning. Don't raise your hand or say out loud. But where are the leaks in your life this morning? What's, what's leaking from you? Is it the love that a family member deserves? Is it bitterness from someone who hurt you in the past? This woman had tried everything she knew to do, and just like Jairus, in desperation, watch what she does, verse 27. She had heard about Jesus. So she came, this is almost like superstitious, superstitious. She came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, verse 28. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Verse 29. Immediately, 
The bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Immediately, the power of Christ was able to locate the leak that for 12 years doctors could not find. I want you to think about this for a moment. This woman basically for 12 years became distracted chasing what she knew that would fix her. She spent money on doctors, no telling how much that cost her, basically we could assume her life savings, but I want you to know what healed her. It was certainly Christ, but it was that she got focused on him. See, when you can focus through distractions, it will fuel your faith. She got focused. Okay, here's Jesus. I basically, I've tried everything else. Now, some of you, in a lot of ways, you're like this woman. You're focused on the past 12 years and you can't get to tomorrow. You can barely make it through today. You're focused on what somebody said about you so you can't find your identity in Christ. When you can focus on Jesus, what I love about this is she, she focused on everything else, but in this one moment, she went to the Savior and immediately he was able to locate the leak and plug what the doctors could not do. I'm telling you this morning, for those of you who have things that are leaking from your life, if you will surrender it to him, In that moment, he will plug what the world cannot do for you. What the world cannot do for you. If we'll focus on the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, we see that there's great power in Christ. Now listen, I I believe this really with with all my heart. And I... I'm big, uh, listen, I think that this message, the preaching has to be two parts. There's like my part and then there's your spot. You, there, you, there has to be a response to it. And so I want to ask you something. I don't want you to raise your hand publicly. I don't, don't want you to say out loud. But if you feel like there, there's some similarity between your story and this woman's in terms of you, you've tried so many things. You've tried to fill the void. In our culture, we would say you've turned from God, you've run from God, and you know that there's something in your life that only He can feel. Would you just internally, in your heart, say, that's me? That's me. What I know is this, is that Jesus is able through the Spirit of God to locate that if you will give it to Him, and He will make you well. This is how I know as we look at the stories, we pick back up in it. This is verse 30. It says, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, I love this. Remember, there's a huge crowd around him. He says, who touched my robe? Jesus wants to know the one person that touched him. And, and I love what his disciples said in verse 31. They're basically like, Jesus, really? Out of all these people, you want to know the one person that touched you? Isn't the better question, who didn't touch you? You know? But Jesus wants to know this one person that touched him. Verse 32, it says, but he kept looking. God keeps searching to to draw you back. But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33, then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. This is more out of like reverence and, and awe of respect. Not so much when you say like trembling as in complete fear. She came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Look what he says. He says, go in peace. Say, I don't want to just heal your body. 
I want to hear your mind. Your suffering is over. Now, isn't this good news? Is this good news? Not for Jairus. You remember him. Not for Jairus. See, Jairus has got a little girl who's dying, yet Jesus becomes distracted with this woman. Doesn't life feel like that when you become distracted with something that seems important? It often comes at the expense of a death of something else. Like, if I'm going to follow this, I've got to let this die. It's good news for her, but not for Jairus, not his family. Look what happens, verse 35. Jesus, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Listen, they told him, hey, your, your daughter's dead. She's died while Jesus was basically healing this woman. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. Now, I, I want to ask you something here. And you just be honest. Jairus, in business, they will often teach you the difference between what's urgent and what's important. Like, this is important, but this is urgent. Let me ask you something. Jairus is basically, he's the leader of the synagogue, which means he's the president. And you remember, Jesus is coming to basically establish a place where he can reign and show his kingdom on earth as it will be in heaven. So wouldn't it have been more important for Jesus to really just strictly deal with Jairus and basically as this woman comes to him, and can we just be honest, and I don't want to mean to be like vulgar and stuff, but you need to understand this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She would have been an outcast in the society. Basically, she's broke. It says she spent everything that she had on doctors, so she had nothing to invest in God's kingdom. She could not support, and you need to read the scripture, a lot of women supported Jesus' ministry. She couldn't have done that. So you've got the president of the synagogue. You've got this bleeding woman. Let's just be honest, okay? Who would have been more important between Jairus and this bleeding woman? Jairus, absolutely. I mean, now listen, it's, it's a different culture, but he most certainly would have been, especially in the disciples' eyes. Now let me ask you something on this side. Here's this bleeding woman for 12 years, which indicates she's, you know, she could be 25, she could be 35, 45. She's lived some life. And then you've got Jairus' daughter, who's 12 and dying. Which one would be more urgent, to, to save the dying girl or the bleeding woman? The dying girl. Absolutely. Who's more important, the woman who's lived a little bit or the child? I mean, don't we always say save the kids? So what's Jesus doing here then? In this distraction, why does he stop for this woman? I'm fixing to get fired up because I know what I'm fixing to say and you don't. So I'm just going to move this right here real quick. Why does Jesus stop? Listen, you think about all the distractions he's had. He's come over for rest, the crowd comes. Then Jairus comes. He's going to heal the daughter. Then this bleeding woman comes. So what we see in this moment of distraction, one way that we shut it down is you've got to discern to pursue the pool. Pursue the pool. Jesus, as he's going with Jairus to heal his daughter, the crowd is pressing around him. They're just pressing, they're pressing, they're pressing. You ever feel like life just pushes you around? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
But see, Jesus wouldn't be pressed into doing anything. How many times do you read in the Scripture where it says that Jesus, the, 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 uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes would say, hey, if you're who you say you are, then perform this miracle. And he would say, no, 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 you're not going to believe if I do it. You're not going to push me around. See, the crowd is pressing. The crowd is pressing. And Jesus would never be pushed into doing anything. His disciples thought that he was coming to set up an earthly kingdom. But Jesus knew that he had a greater mission that would be found on the cross. And so Jesus would not be pushed into being glorified before he was first crucified. Jesus would not be pushed into being a king until he was first hung as a criminal. Jesus would not be pushed into anything but he could not resist. See, the crowd was pressing against him and pushing him, get to the leader's house, get to the leader's house. And yet this one outcast in society, bleeding woman, as he's being pressed, barely pulls his robe. The Savior stopped. Turned around. Said, who did this? Have you ever felt the pull of the Spirit on your life? Like you can't even explain why you're supposed to do that. You just feel pulled. Talk to me if you have. A couple years ago, I was serving at this great church here in this city. And I say this humbly, okay? But God was just doing extraordinary things. I was in a great spot. I had a corner office with the window. I've talked about this a thousand times. And I was leading worship a little bit and helping out with small groups. And we were just seeing really exponential growth. And everybody was pressing me, saying, oh, you need to do this. You need to do this. How long are you going to be here? How long are you going to be here? There's a lot of things going on here. and We love you. We love you. They were just pressing me. They were pressing me. But the Spirit of God was pulling me to be a church planner. This crazy idea of starting something with nothing. See, they were pushing me. They were pushing me. But I could not resist the pull of God on my life. I felt this way several years ago when I felt God pulling me to preach the gospel. Now, I don't know if you can consider me good at doing anything else. I don't feel like I would be. But I could not resist the pull to preach the gospel. Hear Jesus in this crowd, all these distractions going on, and he pursued the pull this morning. I believe it. I've been praying for it and even spoke a prophetic word that I believe someone will commit their lives to Christ today. And you may be sitting here thinking, it ain't going to be me because I already know him, but the Spirit is pulling on you. The Spirit is pulling on you. You've got to pursue the pull of God on your life. So what about the little girl, though? What about Jairus' daughter? What's going on with her? Aren't you glad that Jesus always finishes what he starts? Aren't you glad that Jesus always finishes what he starts? Verse 36. They've just told him, hey, she's dead. But look, Jesus overheard them. He said to Jairus, I love it. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Just have faith. Now listen, what he's saying there is, don't be afraid, just focus. Listen, I'm fixing to preach here just for a second. He said, don't be afraid, just focus, just have faith. Now listen, you remember the story of Lazarus, Jesus' friend? 
where Mary and Martha, they come to him and they say, Jesus, you know, we need you to heal him. And Jesus doesn't go right away and Lazarus dies. You know what I'm talking about? I think it's interesting that Jesus says, just have faith. Because what he's trying to do and what he wants to do in you this morning is take your faith to a new level. See, Jesus could have went with Mary and Martha to Lazarus to heal him. But he waited till he was dead to show the people that he has the power to make dead things come to life. The same story with this lady. I'm getting cold chills on me. This little girl, I mean, Jesus could have bypassed the bleeding woman. He could have not become distracted by her. But he wanted to show Jairus and his disciples that, listen, yeah, I could heal her or I could make her stand and walk. Don't be afraid, he's telling you this morning. You've got a lot of distractions going on. Don't be distracted in your distraction. Just have faith. Verse 37, it says, Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. You do realize that sometimes you just got to tell people no and only allow certain people in your circle. You know that. Like you can't give access to everyone all the time or you'll eventually have nothing to give anyone. Hey, if Jesus shut people out, I almost fell off the stage again. Do you think it's okay that we do that? Verse 38. When they came to the home of Jairus, the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Verse 39. He went inside and he asked him, Hey, what's all this commotion and weeping about? Look what he says. This child isn't dead. But she's only asleep. See, you think your problem is something that he can't overcome? But Jesus is saying, no, this is only the beginning. This is nothing to me. See, you're seeing the Red Sea, but Jesus sees a place where he can just split it for you. You're seeing a mountain in your life that you feel like you can't overcome, but Jesus is saying, hey, I'm fixing to show myself a transfiguration up here. I'm fixing to reveal my glory to you. This child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Verse 40. The crowd laughed at him. Let me teach you something theologically real quick. Promise me you won't read anything else real quick. This is going to be weird, but you must understand that in this culture, when there was a death, even the poorest of families, it was a ritual to hire professional mourners, people that would cry really just kind of build up the funeral. Sounds weird, right? And this is how I know that these people are hired because can you take us back to verse 39? He went inside and listen, they were weeping, they were wailing, there was all this commotion. I mean, they were just, they were sobbing, verse 40. And look what happens in the very next verse. Then they laughed. They went from weeping to laughing just like that. But look, he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the young girl was lying. Jesus, the Savior of the world, would kick people out? Let me tell you the fourth and final point of how you shut down the door on distraction. You dismiss the drama. You just dismiss the drama. Haters are going to hate. You're going to shut the door on them. Doubters are going to doubt. You're going to shut the door on them. Jesus, the Savior of the world, said, no, no, no. 
There's only limited access to what's fixing to happen right here. And it would do some of you some good. Listen, don't go home and quote the preacher and say he told me to defriend everybody on Facebook. But it would do some of you some good to cut some people out of your life and replace them with some people like Peter, James, and John. Dismiss the drama. And I know that there's some people here with some drama because I see your Facebook post. And I see the ones you like too. And I'm like, that's crazy. You got to dismiss that. You got to shut down the door of distraction. Verse 41. Holding her hand, Jesus said to her, He said, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. He's telling you this morning, church, in your distraction, get up. Get up. Dismiss the drama. Discern the demand of what's on you. Locate what's leaking in your life when you're letting go at the pursuit of something else. And when you find that, you pursue the pull of God on your life. And when you begin to pursue that, you dismiss all those around you who are not going this way with you. Come on, somebody. Verse 42. And the girl who was 12 years old, she immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed. This morning, as I was preparing this message this week, rather, this morning, praying through it, I felt like God was telling me to challenge you with something that we don't really do here a lot of lives. We trust that the Holy Spirit will do what only He can do. But in that, we have an opportunity, I feel like an obligation as the pastor of this church to call you to respond to what you've heard. And if everybody would just be honest here, as I always ask questions and want participation so we can understand that we're all on the same page here. If you know there are things in your life that you're distracted by, and maybe they seem like good things or maybe they're terrible things, if there are distractions in your life that you know you need to get rid of and give less focus to would you raise your hand God is able God is able to reach you in the crowded places of your lives so here's what we're going to do church I'm going to ask you this is going to seem old school but let me explain myself I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your your eyes. And I want you to know that this is not because of a denominational religion. It's because of reverence and respect for your neighbor. It does not make us more spiritual that we do this. It does not mean that Jesus is more aware. It's just really out of respect. And listen, I'm going to ask you to dig deep this morning. So shut it down, whatever's distracting you right now. Shut it down and focus on my voice. Focus on being sensitive to the Spirit of God. I'm going to ask you this morning if there are things in your life distractions that you need to let go of in order to have a better life starting today and listen maybe that distraction is a person maybe it's a place maybe it's a thing you need to let go of something in order to have a more fulfilled life a more purposeful life would you raise your hand God bless you hands up all over those same people that raised your hand, you answer this one with just the Spirit. 
If you've tried everything or you've tried a lot of things to get rid of that distraction, and you're tired, tired, Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you are willing. You answer this one privately. You don't have to raise your hand. Today you'll commit to giving that to the Spirit of God and laying that at His feet. You just say that to me internally. Now church, if you're here this morning, maybe you're an unbeliever, maybe you don't really have a relationship with Christ, and maybe you're here this morning and something has wrecked you and you realize that you don't have the relationship that you thought you did or that you want you did or that, that you want. Do me a favor. just acknowledge today is a new day for you and committing yourself to Jesus and maybe that means for the first time and I'm not talking about a rededication what I'm talking about is today you say I'm committing I'm committing to giving my distractions to him to following him and to pursuing the pull in my life would you raise your hand God bless you hands up all over God bless you pray with me God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity to to worship you. Oh God, we thank you that we can worship you publicly without persecution like many of our brothers and sisters around the world right now who are gathering in secret. God, we have heard the gospel. Many of us have responded to a public commitment of raising our hands saying we are committing ourselves to you. And God, we pray that your spirit would honor that our public confession, our public acknowledgement of that. And so, God, we think that in all of the world, all of the distractions, all of the things that take up our time, you made a way for us to have a relationship with you. The cross. God, every wrong that we have, you've made right by the love on the cross. Every sin that we've ever committed or will ever commit, you have made right through forgiveness on the cross. And so to that, we ask a question that seems impossible to answer until we look at the cross. How can that be? How can that be, God? In this series, we've learned so many things, and we just trust now in this moment that you will show us the wisdom to understand what you're doing in our lives, to know how the next step for us is to where that is and and more importantly God that now in this moment we would just cherish these last couple moments it's in Jesus name we pray
spoke this morning through the message or through worship. Can we just celebrate that? I want to remind you, if you missed any part of this series, you can check us out on the line, uh, online at citylightsac.org. Hey, next week, we are doing something that we're calling Old Time Religion. It'll do you good. We're going to do some throwback songs. We may have a little hoedown in here. I'm not really sure what's going to happen just yet. But it's going to be a great day. And I want to challenge you to bring somebody with you. School's starting back. Families are getting in routine. Bring somebody with you. And we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Have a great week.